How many of y'all are excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Yeah. Man, God is good, and it is always good to be here with his people, uh, worshiping him. And so welcome this morning. I'm so glad to, to be with each of you. My name is Dennis Garcia. I am the discipleship and groups pastor here at Real Life Church. And for those of you that are, are worshiping with us online, we're, we're grateful to, to be able to worship with you uh, as well. Well, this morning we're kicking off a brand new sermon series called Priorities. Now, I'm going to let you in on, on a little bit of secret. You know, there, there's times where... Um, I know when I was growing up, I would see the pastors, and I, I would think they were kind of a, a level above me, right? They, they, they were like up on a pedestal, and, and he kind of looked up to them. Uh, I, I'm going to knock myself off that pedestal right now. Um, there are times in my life when my priorities get out of whack. <gasps> Shocking, right? Anybody else have that problem? Okay, come on, y'all. Raise your hands. Don't make me feel like I'm the only one. There we go. Right? No, it's, 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 we, we identify with that. We understand that there are times in all of our lives when our priorities get out of whack. If, if, we, if we're not being intentional about how we set our priorities and what we're devoting our time and energy and effort to, um, things will just happen. And then we'll wake up one morning and we're like, why am I doing this, right? How did I get here? How did I get to the place where my priorities are so topsy-turvy and upside down? Well, this morning we're kicking off a new series. Uh, we're going to be running it to, through the beginning of September, and it's all about priorities. How do we prioritize our lives so that we can experience the best that God has for each of us? If you have your Bible, we're going to be in, in the book of Matthew this morning. Uh, if you have a, a hard copy Bible, uh, Matthew is about two-thirds of the way through. It's right at the, the break between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's the first uh, book of the New Testament. If you're on your digital device, you know, push some buttons. I'm sure you can figure it out because I know you read your Bible every day. Um, so I know you know how to work it, right? Um, and if you don't have a Bible with you, it's going to be up on the screen as I read it this morning. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 25 through 34. It says this. This is Jesus talking. This is, uh, it's actually in the middle of a sermon. We'll, we'll talk about, a bit about that a uh, little more later. Uh, but Jesus is saying this. He said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Isn't there more to life than food and more to the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than they are? And which of you, by worrying, can add even one hour to his life? Why do you worry about clothing? Think about the flowers of the field. They grow and they do not work or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his glory was clothed like one of these. And if this is how God clothes the wild grass, which is here today and tomorrow tossed into the fire to heat the oven, won't he clothe you even more, you people of little faith? So then don't worry, uh, don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the unconverted pursue these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But above all, Pursue his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So then do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Today has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word and, and, and for the gift of your word that we have. Uh, the, the very words that Jesus spoke 
2,000 years later to help guide us to live our lives, to teach us uh, how to, to live in a way that honors and glorifies you. But even more so than that, Father, through your word, you reveal yourself to us. You show us who you are. It is a way that we get to know you deeper than we, than we ever could. So I thank you for the gift of your word, Father, and how you use it to, to speak to us and to challenge us and to, to transform us. And this morning, that's my prayer. Lord, as we open up your word, that we would also open up our hearts and our minds and that we would be transformed by your word this morning that we would be transformed into the image of Jesus, Father, that we wouldn't just come and read your word and leave like we, we didn't even interact with it, but that we know that it is through your word that the Spirit uses to transform and to change our lives. And so, Father, that's my prayer today, that we would know and obey your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this passage is... is Kind of like starting in, in the middle of a sermon. Um, so for those of you that, that are challenged to get places on time, if you walked in about halfway through the sermon, uh, that's what we're doing this morning, right? This is a sermon that, that Jesus is giving. It's the longest sermon that, that's recorded in Scripture out of, out of any of the um, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Long, uh, John. Long John. I haven't had coffee yet this morning. Apparently I'm craving donuts too, so I don't know if we have any Long Johns out there. Um, uh, anyways, yeah, so it's the longest sermon that, that Jesus uh, had, had preached that, that's recorded. It, it breaks it down to 111 verses um, and takes about 20 minutes to read, okay? So it's about a 20-minute sermon. Can I get an amen? Okay, you're not getting a 20-minute sermon today, but Jesus, he's good enough. He could preach a 20-minute sermon. I'm not. It takes me a lot longer. Uh, but the Sermon on the Mount really is um, a summary of what the Christian life should look like. Right? It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and, and Jesus is teaching, this is how you should live. This is the right way to live, and it deals with a number of like, super important topics. Like starts with our attitude right? and, and how, how we, we, what we do with our attitude, and it talks about our witness and anger and adultery, divorce, keeping our promises, retaliation, forgiveness, how to treat your enemies, and all of that is just in the first chapter. Right? So, so it's, it's a super important uh, message that, that Jesus gives. And, and although it's simple, really on the surface, to understand, there's a lot of rich depth and significance to it. Check out what pastor and theologian John Stott says about the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, It's the nearest thing to a manifesto that Jesus ever uttered, for it is his own description of what he wanted his followers to be and to do. I've long believed that as, as Christians, if we would just simply read and follow the Sermon on the Mount, if that's all we did, right, is, is read and follow the Sermon on the Mount, we would be a lot better off than we are today. It, it is that important for us uh, to, to know and, and to read. And so if you've never read it in its entirety, I encourage you to do that this week in your personal Bible study time. Like I said, it takes about 20 minutes, Matthew 5, 6, 7. Um, I believe that, that if we would just live like this, the world would be a much better place. And so it's in this context, this sermon that Jesus is giving about how to live the Christian life that we get to our passage today. And, and the reason why it's important to understand the, the greater context is because this really is a pivotal piece of the passage. This, this is where Jesus says, okay, I've, I've told you how to, how to live this way, how to live this way, how to live this way, but here's the overall big principle on how we should live our lives. Now, specifically, Jesus starts off talking about worry and anxiety over our basic needs. And he tells his followers, don't, don't be anxious about what you will eat. 
Don't worry about what you will drink and what you will wear. And though he's using these, these kind of specific examples of what we eat, drink, and wear, it's really applicable to, to any aspect of life that we tend to worry about, that we tend to have anxiety over. And he's basically saying, don't worry about your basic needs. As a matter of fact, in, in these 10 verses, Jesus says to not worry or to not be anxious six times in 10 verses. Right? He's saying, don't worry about the things of this life. Don't stress over the temporary things of this world. Now, that doesn't mean that we ignore those things, right? Nobody should ignore wearing clothes, okay? Nobody, you, you know, I, I don't want you to say tomorrow, you know, Jesus said not to worry about uh, what I eat, so I'm quitting my job, and Jesus will provide, right? That's not what it's talking about. Jesus is not saying ignore these things, He's saying, don't be anxious, don't worry, don't let these temporal basic needs become the obsession of your life, right? Because that, that's what it means when we worry. When we worry, it means that we're taking a concern and making it an obsession. And Jesus is saying the temporal basic needs of lives should not be the obsession of our lives. And then he goes on to give a couple of examples. And he says, look at, look at the birds of the air. They don't plant anything. They don't tend any gardens. They don't build barns to store everything they, they have. Kind of sounds like last week's sermon, right, if you were here. Uh, Joel did a great job. If you weren't here, go back and listen to it. It was an amazing sermon. Jesus says they don't do any of that, yet God provides food for them. How much more important are you than the birds? The birds don't worry, so why should you? And then he goes on to, to give another illustration. He, he talks about the, the flowers of the field. He said, look at them. They're, 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 they're beautiful. Now, we don't have very much flowers here in the desert because we don't get rain, but I've seen some on, on like the internet, so they must exist somewhere. But there's some beautiful flowers out there. And Jesus says they, they don't worry about what, what they're going to look like. Yet, if, if, if God is going to clothe the flowers, the weeds that will be thrown into the fire how much more will he be concerned about you? He says, we, we have no reason to worry, to have anxiety over the temporal things, to obsess over the things of this world. And Jesus even shows the futility of worrying by saying, and which of you by worrying can even add one hour to his life? Worry adds nothing, but it takes away everything. And then Jesus gets to, to the real heart of the matter here. Here in verse 34, or verse 32 and 34, he said, For the unconverted, those people that are not believers, that are not Christians, they pursue these things. They pursue the earthly things, the temporal things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them. He said, but instead of pursuing the earthly things, instead of pursuing the, the temporal things, he says this, Above all, pursue his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you. You see, what Jesus is doing is, is he's saying that the anxiety that we experience and the worry that we experience really comes down to an issue of misplaced priorities. It's putting our priorities, the obsession of our heart, on things that are temporary instead of things that are eternal. And Jesus starts talking about if you really want to get over worry and anxiety, it's time to start focusing on eternal things. He says we need to stop seeking earthly priorities and start living for heavenly priorities. We need to let go of our kingdom, what I will eat, what I will drink, what I will wear, and start pursuing his kingdom. 
right? And even though the, the immediate application of this passage is about anxiety, the big principle here is ultimately about the purpose and focus of our lives. He says it's the solution to anxiety and worry is to seek his kingdom first. So here's a question for all of us this morning. Whose kingdom are you living for? Whose kingdom are you living for? Whose kingdom occupies your thoughts and, and your mind? Whose kingdom gets the, the majority of your focus and your concern? What we really have here, what Jesus is, is trying to, to get to at the heart of the matter, is a tale of two kingdoms, our kingdom and God's kingdom. Now, before we go any further about talking about what it means to pursue his kingdom, I think it's important that we must understand what God's kingdom is. Right? This, this is one of those things that we don't talk a lot about in church. As a matter of fact, one uh, pastor and author, Matt Chandler, says that the, the kingdom of God is the most neglected and misunderstood teachings in all the evangelical church. He said, we talk a lot about church, but we hardly ever talk about the kingdom. Yet, in, in Scripture, the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, those are two phrases that, that are used in, interchangeably for the same thing. It's mentioned over 126 times in the New Testament. In the book of Matthew alone, where we're reading this morning, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is mentioned 30 times. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself mentions the kingdom far more than he ever speaks about the church. Jesus references the kingdom 106 times. You know how many times he mentions the church? One. Yet we talk a lot about the church. The church needs to do this, the church needs to do this, the church needs to do this. But, but what we, we fail to, to do is place the church in the context of the kingdom. And if the kingdom was that important to Jesus, that he mentions it 106 times, then it should be important to us as well. So what is the kingdom? Simply put, the kingdom of God is this. The kingdom of God is where the rule and reign of Christ exists. The kingdom of God is where the rule and reign of Christ exists. Right? It's not a physical kingdom. A lot of his followers thought he came to establish a, a physical kingdom with boundaries and, and language and, and laws, but that's not what he came. He came to establish a spiritual kingdom, and the spiritual kingdom exists where his rule and his reign exists, which for those of us that are in Christ should be in us and through us. We are the physical manifestation of the invisible kingdom of God. Stu Weber defines the kingdom as God's sovereign rule in heaven and on earth, most particularly in and through the life of individual believers. Now, sovereign is, is a, a fancy uh, uh, church word that we use a lot that, that really means supreme power and authority. It's God's authority on heaven and earth through the lives of his believers. That's the kingdom. We are the kingdom, right? We are subjects of the king and thus part of his kingdom. And what Jesus is saying here in this passage is the most important thing that we can do as a believer is to live a fully devoted life to the king and to his priorities, not our own. Live for his kingdom and not our own. Our bottom line this morning, if, if you're taking notes, is this. Don't be consumed by worry for temporary things, but be consumed by our pursuit of God's kingdom. Don't be consumed by, by worry for temporary things, but be consumed by our pursuit of God's kingdom. I love what uh, commentator Donald Hagner had to say about this, this passage. He says, the disciple is to be concerned with one thing, to have one priority, namely the kingdom of God. The kingdom and the kingdom alone is to be the sole priority of the disciple and that towards which the disciple devotes his or her energy. 
This means that one should make the kingdom the center of one's existence and thus experience the rule of God fully in one's heart. You see, that the, when we talk about priorities, the reality is for us as Christians, we don't have priorities plural. We have one priority, and that's to serve the king to live for his kingdom, to follow his way. That's our only priority. And, and as we, we see in, in Scripture, if we get that one thing right, if we follow the king wholeheartedly and fully devoted to him, if we live our lives as subjects of the king, everything else falls into place. That is the most important thing we can do, and that is our one priority, and that's what Jesus is saying here in this passage. And, and ultimately, that's what the entire Sermon on the Mount boils down to, is this one priority, live for the king. Pursue his kingdom, and everything else will fall into place. Now, I don't know about you, but, I, but I'm a real visual person, and, and a lot of times when I think about priorities, I think of a pie chart. Any, any other nerds out here that, that like charts? Yeah, God bless the nerds. Um, so, so when I think of priorities, this is the kind of thing I think of, right? Now, we would look at this and we're like, man, that's a, that's a pretty well-balanced life. Look at this. The green here represents God. God gets 35%. That's the biggest piece of the pie. Man, look at this person. He loves him some Jesus. And then the family. Family's next. 25% devoted to family. 20% to work. 10% to church. 7% to friends. Hobbies get 3%. And we, and we look at this, we're like, man, that, that's, a, that's a pretty good life. They have their priorities in order. But the problem is this. This is not what the Bible talks about when it tells us to pursue God's kingdom above everything else. This is not what the Bible talks about when it tells us to live for the king. As a matter of fact, it looks completely different. Check out this next chart. This is what it means to live for the king, right? God doesn't get the biggest piece of the pie. He gets the whole pie, right? It's not enough for us to just give him the biggest piece. He gets it all. He deserves it all. And then when we live our entire lives for God, guess what? The kingdom influences how we live in our family. It influences how we love our spouse and raise our children. The kingdom influences how we work. Right? Scripture tells us that no matter what you do, work at all things is unto the Lord. That's what this means. And when we give God our entire lives, the kingdom impacts how we serve at church and how we interact with our friends and what we do with our free time. When Jesus says, above all else, pursue the kingdom of God, this is what he's talking about. He's not saying that God just gets the biggest piece of the pie. He said God gets the whole pie. That's what Jesus is talking about here. When we live like this, everything we do, we do to glorify God. And we do everything for him. We love our spouse the way scripture teaches us to love our spouse. We raise our kids the way scripture teaches us to raise our kids. We work, we serve, we play, we give. We do everything the way scripture teaches us to live. This is what it means to completely surrender to God. Not just that we give him the biggest piece of our lives, but guys, he gets everything. 100% of who we are. Paul wrote in, in his letter to um, the church in Corinth, he told them, you are not your own, you were bought at a price. Well, guess what? For those of us that are Christians, we don't belong to us. 
Jesus bought us with the price, and that price was him coming to the earth and dying on a cross, not for his sins, but for our sins. And when he paid the price for our sins, guess what? We were purchased. We were redeemed is the, the, the church word we like to use. And, and it basically means that we don't belong to ourselves. We now belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And for those of us that are in Christ, we're not our own. Everything we have and everything we are is his. So we must stop living according to to our own priorities and start living according to the king's priorities. Now here's something that that we really need to understand and I, I, I want everybody to pay attention to this. We don't live this way completely surrendered to God because he demands it. Right? God is not a dictator. He's not some tyrannical being that's up in heaven that says live for me or else. We don't live for God because he demands it. We live completely for God because he deserves it. Because he deserves it. You see, God is is, is a perfect gentleman. He doesn't force us to believe in him. He doesn't force us to follow him. He doesn't force us to live the way that, that he tells us to live. Instead, he gives us grace and mercy and freedom to make those choices on our own. So we don't live this way because he demands it. We live this way because he deserves it. After everything that God has done for us, the least we can do is give ourselves over completely to him. Romans 12, 1, Paul's Paul's writing to the Romans and, and he says, in light of everything that God has done for you, in light of the fact that even while you were living in your sin, living in your rebellion, Christ came to the earth, died on a cross for your sins, for my sins, and then rose again on the third day, in light of everything that he's done for us, our only reasonable response is to present ourselves, our lives as a living sacrifice. We don't do this because he demands it. We do it because he deserves everything that we are. Now, the second thing we need to understand is we don't do this to earn our salvation, but it's a response to our salvation. I promise you, you can follow every command in Scripture, and it won't earn you one minute in heaven. You can show up to church every single Sunday. You could give 90% of your income and live off of 10. You can volunteer in every single ministry, give everything you have to God, but if you've not trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it won't earn you one second in heaven. So we, we, don't, we don't surrender to the lordship of Christ in order to earn salvation or to earn his favor. We do it as a response to that salvation. Because he has saved us, because he died on the cross to pay for our sins, we surrender ourselves completely to him. You see, it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is our only way to heaven. It's the only way to, to get back in right relationship with the Father. And because he gave his life for ours, he deserves everything that we are. Now, um, Campus Crusade uh, was a, is a college ministry that's on campuses all over the world. They're, they're known as Crew today, but if you're my age, you know them as Campus Crusade. Uh, they just recently changed their name. Uh, they have a great way of illustrating what it looks like to live a surrendered life. And, and they, have, they have three different images that I want to walk us through today because these images really help me to internalize what this means. Uh, this is the first image. This image represents somebody that, that does not have a relationship with Jesus. If you notice, the, the, the gray circle is our life. All these other small circles are our priorities and what we do. Notice the chaos in the priorities. They're just thrown everywhere. Um, in the middle of the, the picture, you see a throne. That represents the, the seat of authority in our lives. For the person that isn't 
trusting Jesus. They, they're, they're not a believer. They're sitting on the throne. And notice where the cross is. It's outside of the circle. Right? They may know about Jesus, but they, they don't want anything to do with Jesus. Jesus is outside of their lives. They're living their own life, their own way, living, living however they want to, according to whatever priorities they want to. Right? This, this is the unbelieving life. Now, the next image here that we're going to see, notice how the cross moved from outside the circle to inside the circle. This is, this is somebody that, that has trusted Jesus as their Savior, has, has invited him to be part of their life. And then they say, okay, Jesus, you know what? I believe in you. I know that I need you for salvation. I really don't want to spend eternity in hell because that sounds bad. And so I'm going to invite you into my life. But there's something wrong with this image. Who's sitting on the throne? Yeah, we are. The problem that's so heartbreaking about this image is, is that it represents the vast majority of people who claim to be Christians in the United States. Right? We're good with salvation. We love Jesus as Savior. We love to come out and sing about his grace and his mercy. You know, I love singing about being a child of God. Uh, now, don't start giving me chores or, or telling me, you know, what I have a curfew or anything like that. I want to be a child of God that has complete autonomy. We love Jesus as Savior, but we have a problem with him as Lord. And so for the vast majority of Christians in America, this is how we live. We want Jesus to be in our life. We just don't want him to control our life. We want to stay seated on the throne. And like I said, we, we like that get out of hell free card. And we want Jesus near us right? We want, we want him close to us. We like it when, when Jesus is around and we need help, when he's sitting at the foot of the throne to serve our kingdom. Paul talks a lot about this in his letters, and he said, this is the carnal life, right? This is the fleshly life. This is the worldly life, and he's writing his letters to believers, and he says, stop living this way, he says, live no longer according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Yes, most of us stay here, right? We think of salvation as a finish line. Like, okay, man, whoo, I got a hell free card. I'm in the club. I'm good. I'm going to go live my life my way right now. Pastor Craig Rochelle calls this Christian atheism. People that believe in God, but live like he doesn't exist. Listen to that again. Christian atheist is someone who believes in God, invites Jesus into my circle, but I'm going to live as if he doesn't exist. Jesus makes a good phone a friend, but I don't want him as my Lord. But some of you may be sitting out there saying, okay, that, that's a little harsh to say that, that the vast majority of American Christians are this way. Well, let me show you some statistics. 70% of Americans identify as Christian. That's 218 million people. Now, these are people that self-identify as Christian, right? So, so surveys were done, and this, the question was just asked, are you a Christian? And they said yes. Okay, now listen, of those 218 million people, check out some of these statistics about how they live as a Christian. Church attendance among American Christians. Of those 218 million people that identify as Christians, 22% of them attend church weekly. 
11% once a month. 25% say they seldom ever go to church. And 31% of people that identify as a Christian never go to church. We like Jesus as our Savior. We don't want him as our Lord. Right? We're good, we're good calling ourselves a Christian because that, that gets us into heaven. But I'm not going to, you know, give up an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. I've got stuff to do. God knows that. Check out this next statistic. Giving among American Christians. 5% of Christians give financially to their local church. Got awfully quiet in here. 5% of Christians give to their local church. And on average, they give 2.5% of their annual income to the church. Okay, Jesus, I know your Bible says I, I should give 10% because it all belongs to you and, and I want to be part of furthering your kingdom and changing lives around the world. But man, I've got bills to pay. Netflix isn't going to pay for itself. Right? We like Jesus as our Savior, but we don't want him telling us how to spend our money. Now, here's a painful statistic. Let's go to 2% of non-Christians give at least 10% to charitable causes. So 5% of Christians give 2.5%. 2% of non-Christians give 10% to charitable causes. They see the value in giving to, to important things. That ought to hurt. Let's go to the next one. Bible reading among American Christians. 11% of American Christians say they read their Bible every day. 37% once a month or less, and 29% of American Christians never read their Bible. I like Jesus getting me out of hell, but I don't want to listen to anything else he has to say. Let's go to the next one. Prayer among American Christians. Now, this is where we do the best. We're really good at praying, okay? 55% of American Christians pray every day, 21% monthly, 23% never pray. Now, I know that prayer is important to us because I pray every time I go to the gas pump these days, right? My wife prays every time she goes to the grocery store. Dear Jesus, please let it be approved, right? We're good at praying because a lot of times when we pray, what are we asking God to do? Help us, serve us. Right? Our students that are getting ready to start the semester, there's a lot of prayer that goes on on NMSU's campus. Every exam. Right? We, we pray because we want Jesus to do something for us. That's why prayer is so high. But are we praying the right thing? Let's go to the next one. Evangelism among American Christians. Evangelism is a church word that means sharing your faith, telling people about God's love for them. 78% of American Christians have never shared the gospel. Okay, this is like 78% of people, if we found a cure for cancer, and 78% of the people knew that there was a cure for cancer and decided to keep it to themselves. Right? 78% of people that claim that they've experienced eternal life in Christ, forgiveness for their sins, the joy of being part of God's family, believe it's so important they never tell anyone else about it. Only 10% have shared the gospel in the last six months. 
only 41% have invited someone to church. Right now, I've, I've been a pastor long enough. I've heard all the, the, the excuses. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I get so nervous about sharing the gospel. I'm afraid of being rejected or I'm afraid of messing it up. Okay, I get that. When was the last time you invited somebody to church? Only 41% have ever invited someone else to church. Guys, this is not hard to say, hey, I, I go to real life church. Would you like to come with me some Sunday? You can't mess that up unless you give them the wrong time, right? Okay, so I guess you can mess that up. Send them to the website. The times are on the website. Yet only 41% have invited someone to church. We like Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord. Let's go to this last one. Ministry involvement among American Christians. 35% of Christians volunteer in their church. Guys, we like Jesus. We like Jesus as our Savior. But we don't want to surrender to him as our Lord. Let's go back to that, that second circle. This is a majority of Christians in America. In every measurable area of discipleship, church attendance, Bible reading, evangelism, prayer, giving, in every area that we can measure the maturity of, of a believer, the fully devoted, fully committed Christians that, that, that live their lives for the king are in the minority, not the majority. This is where most of us live. We like Jesus in our life, but he's not going to tell us what to do. And if you look at, at the priorities, there's still chaos. But there's a better way. There, there's a third way time for us to get off the throne and to let Jesus take his rightful spot as king of our lives. And when we make his kingdom our one priority, when we surrender completely to him and his lordship, and we are at the, the foot of the throne, we are worshiping the king of kings, we are following his lead, all of our priorities in life, everything else in life falls into place. This is the ultimate goal of the Christian life. This is what Jesus is talking about. Forget worrying about all this other stuff, but seek first his kingdom. Make his kingdom our one priority. This is what it means and looks like to be surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ, to live in the spirit. Jesus sits on the throne and we are at his feet, worshiping and serving him. Paul says this is the spiritual man. This is the spiritual woman. This is what it looks like to serve Jesus as our Lord. When Jesus says to seek first his kingdom, this is what he's talking about. We no longer live for ourselves. We're no longer on the throne. We no longer live to advance our kingdom, but we live to expand and serve his kingdom. You know, Jesus is not just our Savior, but he is also our Lord and our King the Spirit-led and Spirit-filled life is one that, that takes God's priorities and makes them our priorities. You see, too many times when we pray, what we're doing is we're asking God to adjust His priorities to get on page with our priorities, right? Hey, God, this is what I'm going to do. Will you make me successful at it? 
But just a few verses before this one that, that we are, are reading today, Jesus is teaching his, his, the people how to pray. And he says, when we pray, we should pray this. This is prayer. Prayer is not about getting God to adjust his priorities to line up with ours. Prayer is this. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is not about getting God to adjust his plans to fit ours. It's about getting our agenda to match his agenda. It's about getting our priorities to match his priorities. That's what the kingdom is all about. It's about his kingdom, not ours. It's about his will and not ours. So here's my question to you. Let's put up those circles again. Which one of these circles represents your life right now? Now, this is just a conversation between you and God. I'm not going to say, okay, if you're the first circle, raise your hand. You're the second circle, raise your hand. If you want to, you know, you can let me know. It's, your secret will be safe with me and everyone else that's watching on the internet. This is time to get honest with yourself. Which of these circles represents your life right now? Some of you may be in this first circle and, and you know it. You've heard about Jesus, but, but he's not really part of your life. Maybe the only reason you're here today is because someone bribed you with lunch after church. And you're like, given inflation, yeah, I'll take a free lunch, bro. I'll come listen to some guy talk. And, and maybe you're looking at your life and you're like, yeah, I, 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 that's me. My prayer for you today that you would invite Jesus to be part of your life. You would trust him as your Lord and Savior. That you wouldn't leave this place without knowing that God loves you. He loves you so much that he died on a cross to pay the price for your sins and for my sins. And he has invited us into a relationship. Some of you may be living in the second circle. You've invited Jesus into your life, but it hasn't made much of a difference. You like calling the shots. You like being in charge. You don't like anybody telling you what to do. The reason that the, the vast majority of American Christians live here is because we, we, we want to be the God of our lives. We want to be the king of our lives. We want to live for our own kingdom. And this has been a problem since the beginning of humanity, right? Go back to Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, when they sinned and destroyed the whole world, thank you guys. It wasn't because they really liked fruit. It was because the enemy told them, if you eat this fruit, you will be what? You'll be like God. And they said, yes, give me some of that. Some of you are living right here. Some of you, praise God, you're over in the third circle. You guys have, 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 have learned what it means to completely surrender to God and, and you are living the absolute best life that God has planned for you. And for the rest of us, that's the goal. That's where we want to be. Now, now it's, it's time for, for honesty from me. I struggle between these two. I struggle, and it's a daily struggle. Sometimes it's a moment-by-moment -moment struggle. 
As a matter of fact, this week I, I took some time off on Friday morning just to get alone with God and to spend time reading and praying. And, and I had an agenda. There were some things I wanted to pray about and to seek Him on. And God kept bringing me back to this. I said, no, God, I came to pray about this. He said, no, I, I want you to, to think about this. And he kept bringing me back to this passage. I said, God, look, I've already prepared for Sunday. I know what I'm going to be preaching. I've got a handle on the message. And God said, but does the message have a handle on you? I was like, oh, we're going there. I said, okay, if this is what we're going to talk about today, Show me the areas in my life where I'm still struggling to surrender completely to you. And I started writing. And I kept writing. Refilled my coffee, kept writing. And I got done with the list. And I just praise God for his faithfulness, for his patience, for his kindness, for his long-suffering. I wouldn't have put up with me. You see, we will never live in that third circle perfectly this side of heaven. Right? It's always going to be a process. It's always going to be something that we're working towards. But that should be the goal. That should be where we desire to live. Which of these three circles represents where you are today? And which of these circles represents where you want to be? And the ultimate question is this. Whose kingdom will you serve? Whose kingdom will you serve? Guys, I'll tell you, it's exhausting trying to be the king. It just is. And it's not my place. when I align my priorities to his priorities and I surrender completely to him and I make my one priority living for the king everything else falls into place and it's my prayer that we will all desire to be in that third circle right that's discipleship that's what I love about those, those three images and the way that the campus crusade laid it out that's the discipleship process Discipleship is just moving people from the first circle to the third circle. Walking them through what it means to trust Jesus as your Savior and teaching them to live for Him as your Lord. And that's my prayer for my life. That's my prayer for all of us. I'm going to ask you guys to, to bow your heads and close your eyes. Some of you here this morning, you identified that you're in the first circle. Like I said, I don't want you to leave this place without knowing that God loves you. He loves you so much that he died on a cross to pay the price for your sins. And he's inviting you into a relationship this morning. And it's nothing that you can earn. If you could earn it, Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross. He freely offers it to you this morning. He's extending that invitation. Will you accept his forgiveness, his grace and his mercy Will you accept his invitation into his family to be a child of God? If you're ready to make that decision this morning, in just a moment, we're going to pray, and I'm going to say a prayer, and I want to encourage you to pray those words with me. There's nothing significant about the words. They're, they're not magic. God's more concerned about your heart, but the words are a way of expressing 
what's true in your heart. For the rest of us that, that are living in circle two or somewhere between two and three, it's my prayer today that, that you, you would be honest with God and that maybe you would have the courage to say, okay, show me where I need to surrender. And then pray, God, give me the strength to do that every moment, every day. And for those that are in the third circle, I just praise God for you. My encouragement is twofold for you today. First and foremost is stay faithful. Continue to faithfully follow the Father. And the second is to find somebody that's living in circle one and two and bring them along with you. That's what it means for us to be disciples who make disciples. Let's pray together. If you're ready to trust Jesus to say yes to his invitation, repeat these words with me. Say, Father, I know that I am a sinner and my sin has separated us. Yet today I confess my sin to you and I ask for forgiveness and I accept your invitation into your family. Thank you for washing my sins clean. Thank you for saving me. Please give me the power to live for you every day of my life. For those of you that prayed that prayer right now, I just want to tell you, welcome to the family. The Bible says that when anybody trusts Jesus as their Savior, that all of heaven rejoices and throws a party because a lost child has come home. God loves you and he's, he's so happy to have this relationship with you. Father, for the rest of us, I pray that it's our desire to, to get off the throne and to let Jesus take his rightful place on the throne of our lives. Father, that we, that I would stop living for my own kingdom, trying to advance my own agenda, living according to my own priorities, and that I would live for you and you alone. That one, my one priority in life would be to serve the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe who stepped out of heaven and died on a cross for my sins. That I would pursue your kingdom above everything else as my one objective, my one obsession, my one priority in life. And Lord, that as we are walking that journey, that we would go and we would find others and that we would bring them along teach them the same thing. Father, may we be a church who lives out your word and loves Jesus with all that we have and all that we are. Not because you demand it, but because you deserve it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray this morning. Amen.